Welcome to the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast, where we're joined by your hosts, Tanya Gomez and Paul Bryan. In each episode, we'll be sharing valuable insights and tips to help you turn your NDIS business into a profitable venture. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, you've come to the right place. Let's stop surviving and start thriving. G'day, everybody, and welcome back to the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast. I am Paul. I'm here with Tanya, and today we've got Brendan Wolf from NDIS Property Australia. G'day, Brendan. How are you going? Hi, Paul. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I'm used to, to doing podcasts. Um, yeah, so doing a different one. Um, it's going to be really exciting and I'm looking forward to doing to doing it. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Brendan. Um, I am an NDIS participant who has SDA in his NDIS plan. Um, a bit of a, a background story to that. Um, in 2019... I applied for SDA in uh, as part of the um, NDIS, and uh, unfortunately, I wasn't given the level of funding that I was um, requesting from the NDIS. So I had to go down all the appeals uh, process, and part of that was. Um, having to go to the AAT, um, I was at AAT uh, for about three years now, and on the 19th of May this year, I can still remember the date, I got the decision that I was seeking, and I got the correct level of SDA funding of one-to-one um, apartment and what I'm doing now at NDIS Property Australia is basically using all my knowledge and experience um, that I've learned over the last three years, both NDIS world and AAT world, and now assisting other participants trying to seek um, appropriate home and living decisions for them. Um, yeah, so it's been one hell of a ride and I'm enjoying every minute of it and well, that's great. I'm glad that I can share my experience. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, that great introduction, Brendan. It's always great to have you here. I think that this, this episode that we're doing is really around what participants want from providers. Um, and this really comes from the fact that, you know, delivering good services helps you retain clients. And as the Endos community is really a, a small community, um, being great at what you do really means that you are, <clears throat> you know, not only providing a better quality of service to people with disability, but you're able to grow your business as a provider. Um, and often, we say to our clients and on the podcast, you need to make sure that the participant is in the the middle and the the center of everything you do. But we really thought it would be great to hear from an NDRS participant specifically around what 
you know, in your opinion, what do participants want from providers? Um, and I guess my, my first question for you is, what makes an NDRS provider stand out from the crowd? There are many, many SDA or cell or community access providers in the market. How can you choose one and, and what makes them stand out from any of the others? Yeah, what makes a good provider? So I've come from... Um, so I've had my disability from birth, and I've we've I've seen the sector change in so many different ways. Where we've gone from basically you get a bucket of funding, you get a provider appointed to you, and you just accept and deal with what you've got. We've now gone the other end of the spectrum where. We have the NDIS and participants are now are able to choose who their provider is. So when we're, when we're talking about what makes a good provider, I think the main thing we need to focus on is that um, it has to be centred around the participant. The participant is, is the focus of the service that's being provided. Um, and with that comes choice and control. So a participant need, needs to be able to choose with that provider how their services are delivered. So, for example, if a participant wants to go out at, say, 11 o'clock at night and then come home at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's the participant's right and choice to do that, providers need to have that flexibility um, around delivering support and services. Um, and sometimes they even need to think outside the box because, as we know, a provider, as we know, the NDIS itself is a competitive market and every provider wants to be the best provider and get the most like get a lot of participants coming to them. So sometimes, sometimes they have to think outside the box. Now, I know of a provider um, uh, that uses like um, rugby league stars or, or other stars that you are celebrities that have, have worked in their in their field. But in their in their spare time, they also look at uh, they also do support work. So it's kind of like thinking outside the box, uh, making sure that the participant's uh, needs are met and they're more flexible. It, it, it's also about making sure that when they're providing the service, that they're getting good quality service and not service where sometimes their shifts might be missed or or um they might not have enough staff or so, or sometimes the the staff doesn't match the, the to the client a lot of providers um in days before NDIS you basically got what you were given with a support worker. So, for example, a 30-year-old uh, 
sorry, a sorry, a twenty year old participant might end up with a support worker that's a lot older than them and then they they don't have a lot in common. So you're not matching um your client with your support worker. And that's that's what a lot of the problem is, you know, has been is support worker and client do not or provider and client don't don't mix. When we're talking about uh, SDA and stuff like that, you'd want what makes a good provider is some a provider that uh, that knows exactly what they're doing, um, knows uh, what they what they're talking about, and has a good reputation with within the NDIS market. Um, you know, you, you see a lot of a lot of newcomer providers and they're like, oh, we're going to get into the SDA market, but they don't exactly know what they're doing and they've, they've never done it before. And then they, they sell you a product and then you're like, you get there and that's where all the trouble starts. So it's about being flexible, having experience, having a good reputation uh, and, and knowing uh, and knowing your participants and matching your participants. Yeah, look, I think that's really, really important because it can be, you know, I guess at the moment with, you know, the things going wrong about people finding it difficult to find support workers, people, you know, as you said, are not really matching up participant and provider properly. Um, so I think that's a really important one you mentioned there, uh, Brendan. I'm wondering if you could let me know uh, when you would when you would leave a provider, or w- what would make you look for a new provider? Even I guess for me, finding a new provider, it would have to be if my 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 needs weren't being met, if my safety was being compromised, or if I felt that the provider I wasn't doing things correctly in terms of, you know, like overcharging or like, you know, um, just doing dodgy things. And if I felt uncomfortable, I would then start looking at um, a new prov- a new provider. I think we have to remember that come that now that we've had recommendations from the Royal Commission about providing a better, you know, service to people with with disabilities. I think um, I, I think providers need to start to wake up and go, okay, we've the Royal Commission has recommended that we need to step our game up. And I I, I have no doubt there are there are good there are definitely some good providers out there, but there, but there are definitely a lot of shonky providers out there that you know um, co- that have caused a lot of trauma to a lot of people, and I've, and that needs to that needs to be stopped. And I think that this royal commission is has been a way to say, hey, it, we're we're now clamping down on this and we're, we're going to be watching our backs. I think too um, 
when it comes to providers, they need to be a lot more reg regulatory around certain things. So I know, for example, um, a lot of participants, NDIS participants, hire independent support workers. Now, all you need um, to be an independent support worker is an ABN. The, the way the NDIS has it set up is participants can use a provider and then they can also use independent support workers. And all you need to be to be an independent support worker is an ABN. You don't need any qualification. So realistically, anybody can be a support worker. All they need is an ABN. Um, and what's even more alarming currently is the way that it's set up at the moment. When you apply, when an independent support worker applies for their national disability insurance screening card, that's a little yellow card that everybody gets to say that they're, they're an approved provider and that they're safe. They actually create their own PRODA account and then they have to go in and approve their own application. So there's no regulatory check around that. So I, I, I think the NDIA needs to actually look at that and, and make it more, make some more, um, make it more regulatory for independent support workers. Even some sort of uh, certificate, um, like a Cert 3 or something, would be beneficial. And they could, you know, um, do some of that through RPLing, which is uh, recognition of prior learning. So they could actually do, do it on the job training type thing. Um, so, yeah, I... I so I think um, that needs to be looked at. But but when we're talking about, you know, um, providers as a whole, um, we just need to be careful on, on, on and, and look out for the signs of what could be a really bad provider, I guess. And, and I think that's all great insight and I think you're absolutely right on independent support workers and mandatory qualifications. Um, when, when would a provider be good enough for you to recommend to somebody else and say, yeah, absolutely, I, I recommend that you should use this provider because they've been, you know, they, they've been wonderful? Um, I guess if probably doing some research on the provider, knowing what their statistics, having some of their, looking at some of their statistics and looking at some of their um, outcomes and like basically how well they are known with, within the community and, and the type of, the type of services that they provide now. Some providers may not provide what you're looking for, and then I wouldn't recommend them to anyone that if they didn't meet the needs of of the participant, then that wouldn't be good for them. 
uh, it wouldn't be good for the provider and it certainly wouldn't be good for the participant. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I what I would do um, if I was if I was recommending a provider. Normally, um, if I'm with a provider, I would I would say yeah yeah these guys are pretty good. Like I I would recommend I would recommend them to anyone. But at the end of the day, it is the participant's choice on the provider that, that they choose. You can only you can only advise them on what the um what the benefits are, but you, you can't really make up a participant's mind for them. They have to do it for them themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know. It, it can be a really um, muddy field for participants to, you know, look at all the providers advertising themselves and try and differentiate them. You know, I see people spending money on like Facebook ads and Google ads and expos. I, I wonder if you could let us know what sort of marketing you think works so that they could get that message across. Like what's, what have you seen that was been, has been good? I think a lot of social media has just, exploded um in terms of um in the NDIS world and there I am a I'm a I'm a part of a lot of groups that you know advertise for independent support workers, providers that are advertising for participants and and um support workers as well. Um social media is definitely especially for like the younger generation, like like we're talking like participants in the that have been born in the in the last you know fifteen to twenty years, um, technology and social media has come a long way in it, and it, it it does you could say it rules the roost really because a lot of young um, people it, it it's a generational thing. I think uh, when it comes to social media, like your old schoolers might be a bit more, oh yeah, I'd rather you know call them up and you know have a meeting. Whereas, whereas the young people are like, oh yeah, that looks good. You know, so many good reviews. I'll give them a go. But the the thing though, you've got to watch is though those providers that. Like it looks good, but then, like they 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 market it so well, but then the service is really poor and yeah and re- really bad. And I'll use STA as an example. Like the NDIS frowns upon participants using the word holiday. They don't like the NDIA doesn't like. Um, a hol- you say, oh, I want funding to go on a holiday. Well, um, they don't like that. They like to use the word respite, but there are so many ads that I see on Facebook that say, hey, come and have an NDIS holiday with us. And I'm thinking, well, are you really, are you really selling what it's really for? Like, like it's almost... It's almost like you're selling a dud dud product, really, because um, STA is about 
um, getting a break from your regular your regular supports and your 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 supports getting a break from you. It's also about capacity building and and mm. skill and skill building. So I think that's um, it's really important to make sure you're selling a good product and that the product is actually accurate and you're not you're not false advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of um, semantics in the NGIS around what you can and can't say and there's a difference between what can be claimed and how it can be marketed. Um, so it's, it's yeah. an interesting place to be. Yeah. Um, my, my last question for you today, Brendan, is what advice would you give to providers with NGIS being a demand-driven system what advice would you give to providers who are looking to grow their business in this competitive marketplace with the participant front and centre? Yep. I would I would like to my advice to providers is listen to your participants. Um, constantly be asking them, how can we improve our service? What's what 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 are we doing wrong? What do we need to do better, and how can we, how can we go about it? I I, I still believe in this NDI in in the NDIS land. I still believe that um, that lived experience is key, and providers should be you know employing people with disabilities. Um, but, you know, you could employ participants to help with your marketing strategy uh, and and selling your product, uh, and, and that would then create jobs for those participants because at the end of the day, the participants know what they want um, out of a provider, and they're the best ones to to recommend, you know, what is a good provider. And they, they know they they know what providers should be providing. That would be my advice. Listen to your participants and and use lived experience as key to ensuring that the, the service that you're providing is top-notch and that you, that you keep getting um, people, through, people through your doors because if you don't have that, you're not going to have a successful um, business and um, and you're gonna fold as a provider because participants are gonna move away from 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 you and I think that's where a lot of providers struggle to understand is that it is this whole thing is participant driven by mm, choice yeah. and control if you if you don't if you don't listen to who you're providing for. You're never going to get it, and you're never going to understand it, and you're not going to make money, uh, and then you're going to ask yourself what went wrong. That's I think that's really brilliant because, you know, um, providers can get in the the lane of just doing the work, um, but not really taking the time to really ask participants, "Hey, is this what you really need? Is this what you want?" And um, you know, you, you've got to you've got to really be in touch with your market. Plus, I think a lot of providers are still in that old block funding mentality. Like you get a chunk of money 
and then you got to do with what you got to do with that money. Whereas they're not thinking NDIS land stuff. So they're they're so set on their ways, and that some of them like are not fully prepared. Like we know when the NDIS was introduced, it rolled out so very quickly, and a lot of providers are playing catch up. Um, and now we're about to get, uh, we're about to have uh, a report from the NDIS review committee on what the future of the NDIS looks like. And I, I hope providers are, are watching the, are looking at the website and looking at the newsletters that are coming out, and they're already starting to think about what but potentially what potential changes are coming their way because I do see some changes occurring in terms of the depth and how big those changes are. I do not know, but I think a lot of changes are going to come for providers. A lot of changes are going to come for the NDIA. And there are going to, and participants are probably going to be the winners out of out of this review committee because it, it, it's definitely it's definitely time that change starts to happen and and it can only it can only really begin with its participants if we don't speak up more and we don't hold providers accountable um, for their actions um, and that you know and uh, and I will say this, the Safeguards Commission needs to get its act into gear as well and and start doing its job properly and, and ensuring that participants' safety is is paramount. Uh, mm. We've seen so many, I've, I've seen so many news articles come out from the ABC about you know, indecent treatment of NDIS participants and the Safeguards Commission not doing anything. I think they have a much bigger role to play and they do need to step up and start taking action against providers who are doing the wrong thing. Yeah, definitely. There's going to need to be, you know, those things in place to make sure providers are doing what they should be doing. And, um, you know, they, they participants are getting the services that they really require look brendan that's been fantastic and i think your insight is is so on point because you know for for one you've had to experience a lot of this for for your whole life but also now you know obviously with with where you're working with ndis property having an insight into that that you know housing side as well is is so important for so many people that that you've got so much information there so first of all thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I've taken away a couple of really important things, like for instance, you know, this idea that you know, uh, you know, providers really need to be in touch with the participants, not just building a service, but actually, you know, going to participants and saying, "What do you actually want? Let's build it around you," because I think, as as we said, you know, providers can get in that that lane where they just do their own thing, but also around you know, making sure that you are staying up to date. That's, that's been a real key point now 
particularly, you know, with the Royal Commission and all those sort of things, you have to stay ahead of the curve with your information and and what's happening. Um, about staying ahead of information, obviously you're um, with NDIS Property Australia and you've got the ND, sorry, the SDA Housing Podcast. Um, I, I'd love for you to just let us know how can people find the podcast or find out more about what you're doing? So um, for anyone that we are, our podcast is on Spotify, so you can look at um, SDA, uh, SDA, NDIS, sorry, SDA Housing Australia is um, the name of our um, podcast, and we are on Spotify. You can also check our links, our podcasts out on our website at ndispropertyaustralia.com.au, um, and there is a lot of information there too around housing and stuff but that's where our podcasts uh we do two episodes a week um are published so please i've done a few on there now with our director min um min lee and um yeah so anyone that's listening to this and you haven't checked out um our podcast please do um I, I listen to your podcasts a lot too um, with Tanya Gomez Consulting. Um, so, yeah, so please check out our podcast and, and give us a good review. Great. Thank you so much, Brendan. It's always so lovely to have you on. You're just so insightful um, and you definitely have added so much value to our listeners today. So it's so mm. great to have you here. Um, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We'll be back next Tuesday with another amazing episode of The Profitable NDIS Provider. Um, thanks again, Brendan, and I will see everybody soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot. See ya. Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Profitable NDIS Provider Podcast with Tanya Gomez and Paul Bryan. We hope you found today's episode informative and valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and share it with others who could benefit from our insights. Until next time, keep thriving.